Working for Crusoe, Sam Park and John Ramey with you on Friday, April 21st. Sam, this uh, explosion of violence in Sudan um, is spiraling in the wrong direction. The World Health Organization says at least 413 people have been killed, more than 3,500 injured since fighting broke out last week um, between the army and the paramilitary rapid support forces. Uh, This is coming from Al Jazeera's reporting. Um, This is a story that has a lot of layers. And you can say that again. I mean, when you start looking at the history of Sudan, it is a history of colonialism, but not exclusively Western colonialism. No. And then you have the secession of South Sudan in 2011. Right. So there's a lot of recent history. And just before we get into the nitty gritty of this, Sudan is 47 million people. Yes. It is approximately the same population as that of Ukraine. Right. February of last year, I might add, but please go on. Speaking of Ukraine, if you superimpose the geographic body of Sudan on Europe and you put the southwest corner on the Pyrenees, right, between Spain and France, bottom left, upper right, northeast, is in Ukraine. Yeah, it's an enormous country. It's a fourth of the size of the continental United States. Correct. Yeah. Um, So, and it's directly south of Egypt and it's bordered on the east coast by the red sea just you know the north in the northeast yes yes. directly across from the arabian peninsula and in some of the reporting you sent me uh france 24 Mm -hmm. um the panel of experts were talking about the horn of africa which is critical for shipping and how this could be a destabilizing a further destabilizing event um yes not a very stable region on the best of days right so, I mean, where do we start? I mean, there's a character drama between two main kind of rivals. There's a coup that w- that they join forces in to, to overthrow a, a strongman in 2019. Like, in fact, there have been two such coups. But, but, but yeah. okay, where do we start? In the few months that we've been doing this podcast, we've only had the opportunity to discuss one African nation in any detail. And that was a month or so ago when we talked about the presidential elections that were then happening in Nigeria. And I believe I mentioned during that episode that Nigeria is a nation that always seems to be on the verge of slipping into a full-blown national crisis, but never quite does, to to their credit, I might add. In contrast, Sudan is a country that always seems to be experiencing at least one crisis, and not infrequently, more than one at the same time, almost none of which are ever fully resolved. And we might think of this past week's events as being the confluence of all the unresolved crises in recent Sudanese history. And if I were to pick one of those that I would say links all of them together, it would have to be the 30-year dictatorship of Omar al-Bashir. I think that's where we should probably start. So he was the straw man from 1989 to 2019. Correct. And the two feuding, warring factions right now in Khartoum and Sudan um, collaborated to overthrow him. 
That's right. Now, just to back up a little bit, and I'll try and get through this all as quickly as possible, because as you say, there's a lot. Here. We haven't even talked about Darfur yet. No, and, but we will. We'll yeah. have to. Yeah. Right? Uh, when Bashir overthrew the civilian government of Sadiq al-Mahdi, who was the prime minister in 1989, one of the reasons he did so was because al-Mahdi was trying to come to an accommodation with the separatist movements of the southern regions of Sudan. Uh, and al-Bashir was opposed to any such accommodations. So he overthrew the civilian government and installed himself as the dictator, after which the separatist movements of the south exploded into full-on civil war against the northern regions of Sudan. P.S. Spoiler alert, there is a South Sudan now. Exactly. That's how that ended up. So, just to clarify, Bashir overthrew his own government, or that is the the existing government is of his own country, and appeared to escalate the regional conflict in the South, which he then proceeded to lose over a period of the next 20 years. Not this was not some you know momentary conflict. This went on for decades to the point where, yes, we now have a country of South Sudan with the whole deal. They've got a seat at the UN. It's you know everything you can imagine. By the way, no sooner was that country formed than the erstwhile rebel commanders who formed their new government began fighting amongst themselves in armed conflict. And as far as I recall, they're now sitting in a fragile and uneasy power-sharing agreement. But we don't really have time to talk about South Sudan because we're talking about the remainder of Sudan. I should say, though, that the area of South Sudan comprised then about 40% of the geographical area of the entire what was then the entire country of Sudan. And so as enormous as a country as Sudan is today, it was then much larger than it is now. So Bashir loses the civil war. Uh, however, he was untouched by the Arab Spring, which occurred in 2011. And I don't know why that is, but I would suspect that if you were a civil society activist in Khartoum, you might say, well, at least the civil war is over. So maybe the international community will now begin that they had, in fact, in 2011, when the Arab Spring had started, the international community had already begun to lift sanctions on Sudan. I think 2011 is when the secession occurred. That's right. That was when it was finalized. Officially, yeah. The peace accords had already been in motion for a number of years leading up to that. So I'm speculating that 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 might be one of the reasons that... Bashir was spared any very, very large uprisings. Yeah, 20 years of civil war will kind of tap out your protest spirit. Yeah, I would imagine, especially when it when when it's just ended. Right. You know, you could probably use a break at that point. So not only did the civil war occur entirely under the dictatorship of al-Bashir, but so did the conflict in the far western region of Darfur. Sudan which is Darfur, which is as far west as you can go in Sudan and before you get to the border with Chad and Libya. 
And the genocide, which is generally agreed to have occurred there, took place at the hands of a paramilitary militia that was then known as the Janjaweed, which, as far as I understand, translates from the Arabic as devils on horseback. And they were an Arab militia, native to Darfur, uh, who were persecuting their fellow Darfuri non-Arab tribesmen. Now, I should say that another problem that Sudan has had, but is not endemic to them, totally not their fault, is climate change. And it's very widely agreed that the genocide in Darfur was partly a result of expanding desertification of the western region of Sudan, which is very far away from the Nile River system, which forms the economic and literal lifelines of the country and has forever. As soon as you get west of the Nile. It's the Sahara. Yeah. yeah, And and, uh, as this area, in fact, it becomes drier due to climate change, resources become stressed and there becomes a greater chance of intercommunal conflict over those resources. And that's an enormous factor in what happened in the genocide. Also, in their the early history of Sudan as an independent nation, they embarked on a program of ethnic classification of their various peoples, which, by the way, remember, still included South Sudan at the time. And Sudan is an Arab nation, but not all of its peoples are Arab. In fact, almost none of the peoples of what's now South Sudan, in fact, are Arab. They are widely classified by the government of Sudan and other people as African, right? Or let's just put it clearly, they're black, black. right? Uh, and But you know what? If you look at pictures of uh, Abrahan, the the head of the military in Sudan today, or of uh, Dagalo, the, or also known as Hameti, the head of the, of the Rapid Support Forces, you could see how, yeah, they're Arab, but they also look like they might be partly black, and they probably are, right? But they would tell you that they're Arabs, right? right. And the, the the point is that the Janjaweed uh, identified themselves as Arabs, and the people that they were persecuting as not Arab, even though many of these nomadic tribes intermarried for generations. And so, you know, you, you might talk to a Darfuri and, and you and he'd say, okay, fine, I'm African, supposedly. My wife, supposedly, according to you, uh, authorities, uh, is Arab. Uh, and she's from the village right up the road from mine. And we love each other very much. What about our children? What right. are they supposed to be? Are they African because I'm I, their father, am African? Uh, and so, the again, this is an enormously complicated issue. Now, I should say that in our census, every ten years, we use ethnic demographic totally. yeah. classifications all the time. There's no necessary nefarious intent in doing so. But in a country that already had a long history of inter-ethnic conflict, you could understand how it might make people uneasy for this sort of uh, technocratic measure to even be taken in the first place. Now, 
the genocide in Darfur is one of those issues that was never fully resolved. And I just want to point this out. That was happening uh, first decade of the 21st century is kind of when that came on American radar. That's right. Yeah. In fact, uh, every day since last month, every day that goes by is the 20th anniversary of something that happened in the United States war against Iraq, which was happening at the same time as the Darfur. as the genocide in Darfur. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There was never a good case for any sort of military intervention in Darfur or anywhere in Sudan. And by the way, there still isn't just because it's such a large country and the the political and it's very complicated. Yeah, the political factionalism is just dizzyingly complicated. I'm not saying that we should have done anything about Darfur instead of going into Iraq. The point I'm making is there was an Arab dictator that was actively committing genocide against his own people, but we didn't really seem to think that should be a priority. That's the only point I'm making. Yeah. The genocide supposedly ended with a ceasefire in Darfur. But guess what? There's still hundreds of thousands of Darfuris living in awful refugee camps uh, and probably will for the rest of their lives. Uh, Another problem that Sudan has, which again, many countries have and isn't their fault, is uh, really alarming levels of economic inequality Uh, to the point where the poorest people in Sudan are some of the poorest people you can even imagine. And the people of Darfur are among those because economic activity is concentrated so heavily in along the banks of the Nile, which has some of the highest population densities on Earth. And again, that makes sense, because if it's not if you're not in the Nile, you're in the Sahara. Yeah, essentially. Well, if you're west of the Nile. Yeah. Right. There's yeah, probably, or yeah, right. There's probably a, a fair amount of economic t- activity on the, the Red Sea coast, for right. example. Right in the in the northeast and Darfur. Yes, it's terrible. Yes, it's a genocide. Yes, it's something we may have heard of, and that is in the west of Sudan. But uh, Hamedti is from Darfur. He is from Darfur. He is a warlord born of the crucible of that unrest. Exactly. The Janjaweed, the the paramilitary militia that was committing the genocide, yeah. is now known as the Rapid Support. Forces. That, they are that, the that paramilitary is, group that is attacking the military in they Khartoum. Are the, they are the successor organization of the Janjaweed. And so they are now they are now one of the two main factions in this civil war. Exactly. Hemeti is what that is was a commander of the Janjaweed during the genocide. And what eventually happened was that. I think partly as a result of the Arab Spring, which, again, Sudan did not experience, but I think that there are plenty of especially educated urban people in Khartoum and uh, around the Nile River complex who said, "Okay, we're not going to do anything about this now, but at least we see that this can be done. So let's start maybe getting the ball rolling just in case this doesn't work out, because guess what? It probably won't. Uh, And so... Eventually, in 2019, they had developed their own organizational systems and structures. And 
mounted very large scale civilian uprisings against Omar al-Bashir, by which time, by the way- Are you saying the RSF had organized these things? The the civilian- The civilian, just the populace. Civil society activist community in amongst the urban economic elite of the country, right? It was that development that caused, well, maybe not caused, but helped uh, Al-Burhan and Hemeti. Burhan is the military- the Meti yes, is the RSF, just yes, so we're clear. Uh, Those are the uh, two factions. That's right. Burhan was at that time a senior general in the Sudanese armed forces. And I think they, by which time, by the way, Omar al-Bashir had been indicted by the International Criminal Court. So I I would speculate, mind you, that Burhan and Hameti looked at the civil uprising and said, you know what, if we take power now together and agree to agree, to hand over al-Bashir to the ICC, the people will be happy with us and the international community will be happy with us also. It's a win-win for us. So the time to do this is now. And that's more or less what happened. That is exactly what happened. They they toppled al-Bashir, who I think is still in the country. I'm not clear about that, though. He's facing criminal charges in Sudan as well as from the ICC. So al-Burhan and Hameti uh, collaborate to throw out al-Bashir, who is a 30-year bad guy dictator. Yes. This is 2019. And then there is essentially a roadmap or a bridge to civilian rule that is... Outlined. In theory, yes. There was a an interim prime minister installed, uh, Abdullah Hamdak, uh, who is now in exile in United Arab Emirates. And uh, he was supposed to shepherd the country towards civilian rule. And the two factions, the Sudanese Armed Forces and what then became the RSF, were supposed to that is, the RSF was supposed to become integrated into the Sudanese armed forces. And that has never happened. As Instead, we they're fighting each other. Yes. Uh, and there had been a disagreement all the way through the supposedly civilian process of how this integration of the RSF into the armed forces would proceed, and especially how fast, right? Uh, Al-Burhan said, how about we do this in about within about two years? And Hemeti came back and said, yeah, how about 10? Right. right? Uh, and so uh, eventually after two years, that is in 2021, uh, they basically abandoned, Aburhan essentially abandoned all pretense of wanting to go back to civilian rule. He said he still wanted to do it, but they basically overthrow Abdallah Hamdak uh, the prime again, minister. Yes, with the civilian prime minister. Burhan said, well, we're still going to transition to civilian rule, which seems like an odd thing to say when you've just ousted the civilian prime minister. So they threw off the strongman in 2019, and then Burhan, in charge of the military, throws off the prime minister in 2021, the civilian prime minister who was supposed to shepherd Sudan towards democracy. And so then Hemeti whose paramilitary force, the RSF, from Darfur, is like, no, we're not going to be completely wiped out by 
Burhan. Burhan says you're a criminal. And this has exploded essentially this week. Yes. And I think Hemeti might have realized at some point that he should also be under indictment by the ICC for the genocide in Darfur. So if Burhan can do this to Omar al-Bashir, why couldn't he do it to me? Right. Uh, And I think that's a very astute judgment that he might have come to a little sooner, in fact. But he had other things to do. Let's, you know, to to be fair to him. Just to uh, bring us up to like right now, again, from Al Jazeera published just as we started recording this. Uh, The RSF says it's ready for a 72 hour ceasefire because there's a massive refugee situation here. Right. Six hundred thousand people or something. And uh, the army of Sudan is saying Al-Burhan's army is like, no, no negotiations, no ceasefire, only surrender. Right. And I don't think anyone really takes Hameti very seriously. Of course. Uh, But that's that's kind of just what each side's talking point is. right? Exactly. Uh, And uh, it's important to note here, I think, that. I don't know about you, but every eyewitness account that I've seen uh, of this from the past week, that is, has been from Khartoum itself. And in fact, that's what makes this crisis different from all the other crises that we've been talking about in Sudan over the past few decades. Because those have kind of happened in the hinterland. They all have. Right. The Civil War was all in the south. Darfur is very far away from the Nile River complex. Right. This is the first time in the history of independent Sudan that large scale military competing forces have fought it out inside the capital. And so the people that we're seeing talk to us about this are the educated urban elite of the country. But this conflict is actually happening all over the country, not just in Khartoum and then along Nile River. It's happening everywhere. Uh, And it's important to keep that in mind. We're not getting a lot of news from the uh, enormous portions of the country where the conflict is happening. Right. But the the academics with the microphones and the cameras are in Khartoum and there's plenty and and there's plenty of violence there. So you're going to hear about it. Exactly. And some of that and that is to be fair, that is what makes this conflict distinctive from previous Sudanese conflicts. Some of these people that we're seeing on television actually are the same civil society activists who launched the civilian uprising against Omar Bashir four years ago. They have contacts with Western media who they were talking to then. It was very easy to get in touch with them. They're well-to-do. They have good internet connections. They can use the same technology that we're using now. One thing that I found remarkable, and this is my bad, right, uh, is how light their accents are. Uh, I mean, I agree. I've seen European news anchors that have much heavier, that speak English with much heavier accents than the people in Khartoum. They could be they could be from living up down on Fairfax Avenue. I know. I mean, uh, and again, that just goes to show you how uh, mired in stereotypes, even people like us right. who like to think of ourselves as well-informed, broad-minded people still are even today. It's it's sobering to me personally. All right. So whenever there's a civil war anywhere, my first instinct is, well, why is this a country? Right. 
And, well, unfortunately, and, there's a there's a very easy answer to that question. Well, Sudan has been the uh, colonial subject of any number of Arab powers in the first millennium, Egypt, then the Ottomans, and then the British in the 19th century. Yes, and I think there was a, a brief period of French Oh, really? Okay, I missed that one. Ahead of the British, right? Uh, British is like 1821 to 1899 or something? Something like that, yes. But uh, you'll recall that uh, at one point, Napoleon conquered Egypt, which would have at least given him a foothold in Sudan. Uh, Egyptians tend to think of Sudan as their backyard. Excuse me, I just gave the wrong dates. That was the Ottoman. 1821 oh, yeah, to 1899. Exactly right, yes. Then the English, uh, the British, yes, uh, Kirshner and Khartoum in 1899. Sorry. Prior to, I think, prior to the Ottomans. Napoleon, sure, yeah. But the Egyptians tend to think of Sudan as their back. It's almost right. like they're Mexico or right. something. Not, that's not a very close comparison, uh, but it's their yeah. sphere of influence. Yeah. And they've always, you know, throughout the Cold War, for example, they were very closely aligned in the Arab nationalist camp headed by Nasser, who was the leader of Egypt at the time. And Egypt then, which is weird to think about today, but was universally accepted as the leading nation of the Arab world, which it certainly is not today. And they are still, for example, the patron of Al-Burhan, uh, uh, the military leader. Ah. of so uh, Egypt backs Al-Burhan and the military of Sudan. Yes. Uh, who else is involved here? Uh, United uh, League of Emir- the, the Arab United Emirates? Arab Emirates, yes. Yeah. They they are backing Hemeti. Uh, however, <laughs> right, uh, Egypt backs one of the warring militias in next door Libya, right? Yeah. That militia backs the RSF. Uh-oh. Uh and so <laughs> yeah. You have people working at cross purposes with themselves. Uh and again, ev- almost every country that shares a border with Sudan is also undergoing one kind of armed conflict or another on one level or another. Libya, Ethiopia, Chad, uh South Sudan even. Uh, oh, you know, uh what's the one right to the to the east? Uh Chad. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, to the west, you mean? Oh, uh, uh, to the east is Ethiopia. Ethiopia, and then isn't there a, a Eritrea? Eritrea, and that's terribly repressive too. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and they, in fact, broke away. They used to be part of Ethiopia. They broke away from from Ethiopia uh, a few decades ago. I don't really remember. And there's a. Oh, there's I didn't a, have my map in front of me. They've been experiencing a, a, an enormous, you know, Ethiopia as a, a, a rebellious province of their own that they're brutally suppressing right now. It was interesting in uh, the first of the France 24 reports that uh, you recommended that to a person, they were like, oh, yeah, the writing was on the wall. This was a tinderbox. This was bound to happen for 10 years now. And I mean, in some regards, it's it's kind of incredible. It hasn't been again, maybe maybe just because it's in Khartoum that it, you know, it's that is, uh, what, again, that is what marks this out as different yeah. from from previous Sudanese conflict. But I think they're right. The problem, well, not the problem, but a big problem with this is, as we've dis- been discussing, crisis in Sudan is essentially the status quo. Right. So people just stop thinking about it. 
right? It's always something. Uh, and the best that the international community can do is provide band-aids, right? Because there's no good solution here, frankly. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of the uh, observers on the ground and outside of the country are saying, this is basically going to end with one of these factions destroying the other one, and they both know that. I think there's an outside chance, mind you, though, that if Hemeti thinks he's going to lose in Khartoum, he will just withdraw his forces and melt away to the West uh, and return this to uh, a, a regional conflict. Uh, that's his base of power. Uh, geographically, that is. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't think he can fully succeed, he might just try to drag this out into the regions, which, if you live in Khartoum, would be an improvement for you. Uh, sad to say. Very right. sad. One other, just some uh, some of the other staggering kind of data points. Uh, the UN World Food Program in Chad is calling for support. They are looking at 600,000 refugees. Uh, in Sudan, affected by the fighting. Um, a humanitarian worker has been killed from the International Organization for Migration among the 413 killed so far. Sweden is going to evacuate their embassy staff when possible. Switzerland is thinking about it. And of course, as we discussed before we started this, uh, the U.S. is preparing options for a possible evacuation of their embassy That's folks. Right. We have but a base in Djibouti which is not especially close by, but it's the nearest one we have. And it's, you know, relatively close by. I think that the force And all of this, uh, Djibouti is to the east, uh, Horn of Africa. Right. right on the horn, right? Yeah. Uh, that is the point of the horn. Yeah. And uh, I think that the forces we have in Djibouti now are just not the very best forces that we might want to use for evacuating a civilian embassy uh, inside of a national capital. Uh, one thing I will say, however, though, is that the when this conflict first started last Saturday, it seemed like all the military activity was artillery of different sizes, small to large or small to medium large, and some airstrikes. Today and yesterday, it's everything. All right, it's tanks, helicopter gunships, airstrikes, block to block building to building, fighting on the streets. This is getting worse every day, not better. And it's something that I think is uh, really deserving of our attention. And this is the worst part for me, not getting that attention. Uh, I saw, like, for instance, I knew that I was going to be doing this with you today and I wanted to get my hike in. So when I got up early this morning to get the hike in. I flipped on the television just to see. I knew that Good Morning America would at least have headline news to start their program. And they did talk about Sudan after they talked about Alec Baldwin. And I'm like, and but one of the things they reported about Sudan is that there are, according to good the ABC News, mind you, 16,000 American citizens in Sudan right now. That's insane. That's a big number. Now, it's possible that at the beginning of the war in Ukraine last year, there were 16,000 Americans in Ukraine. I think that that's plausible. But I think if the number had been that large, 
I would know about it, and I right. don't. Right. Uh, and this is just repellent to me, right? If we've got 16,000 of our citizens inside what could be a civil war, and it's not the top story on our news every day, there's something wrong. And I think we could speculate as to why that might be. It's not just that these uh, citizens are black or Arab, right? Although that is a factor. Uh, some of them are immigrants or the children of immigrants. And I'm not saying that those are the only reasons, uh, but I think that they are some of the reasons. And again, it's revolting. Uh, I, I can't, I, I, I'm sorry if I sound upset, but I am. <laughs>